0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award winning legend comics and coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today.
1: Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Avengers and Archie Comics. And you're listening to, or about to listen to, the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast with Joe and Matt, who couldn't be bothered to show up for my store signing today to get this intro. Our story this week picks
0: up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you joe patrick's not even friggin here no, it's to episode pleasure. it's my six <laughs> of the two-headed nerd comic book podcast my name is matt Baum. you can follow me at matt bombstein on the twitter where this week i have been screaming about angel's stupid cosmic wings god i look, hate them they're look, so they dumb Stupid. you just have to ignore them why are they still here it's just dumb nobody likes this
1: everyone on twitter agreed with me who are you and I'm Joe Patrick. You can find me at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And I'm sitting uh, in my boxer shorts in my home because I hurt my foot. Gross. And I didn't want to have to climb up Matt's. Uh, Mount Doom of a driveway. Oh, please. You cry, baby. You can also follow the show Twitter, at 2 Nerd, where I like to post my own personal fun thoughts. That's true. Much to Matt's chagrin.
0: It's like he just doesn't even understand what it's for. In this week's episode, Joe and I camp out on Rock Candy Mountain and shape reality as God Shapers. After that, we'll review our NHL playoff picks and 10 more of this week and last week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round, then... Joe and I will celebrate Easter and Comic Book Rabbit Awareness a Month with another "Who the Hell Is This Guy?" segment, where we discuss famous comic book rabbits. And after that, we'll read another filthy postcard from the Orca. So
1: I have thoughts about this one.
0: Before President Trump starts a war with Russia and North Korea,
1: we should probably hurry up and talk about this week's no, no. After last week's X-Men Gold number 1 hit stand, some fans were quick to notice hidden political and religious messages inserted into the art by artist Ardian Syaf.
0: Ardian, all this time.
1: I know. We've been called him Adrian out,
0: for years.
1: <laughs> literally, since 2009. <laughs> this was first pointed out on Reddit by a user named W. Downey Jr. Just kidding, just W. Downey. Oh. The messages refer to specific verses of the Quran. And use codes that make reference to the current political situation in SIAF's home, the Republic of Indonesia. And in certain contexts, these messages can be taken as anti Semitic and anti Christian.
0: Wait a minute. Uh, These are Muslim references that
1: are anti-Semitic and anti-Christian? okay. Who's ever heard of such a thing? (laughs) Dial it back, President Trump. (laughs) The message, the primary message inserted into X-Men Gold number one is an image of Colossus in a shirt that reads QS551, which is a reference to a specific verse in the Quran. Uh, The verse is often interpreted in several different ways. You can look that up for yourself. But in Indonesia... The verse has been used as this rallying point against the Christian governor of Jakarta, which is Indonesia's capital city. Some Indonesian Muslims have accused the governor of blasphemy against the Quran, which is a crime, and are calling for his removal from office and even his arrest. Uh, There were also some other references to the protest in the issue, as well as some imagery that seems especially problematic given the context there's one panel where Kitty Pride is posed standing in front of a jewelry store and the letters J-E-W are framed very prominently next to her head.
0: And for those who don't know, Kitty is Jewish. Right. A lot of people might not know that. But Kitty Pride is Jewish.
1: Yes. Sorry, I just assumed everybody knew that. Yeah. Uh, in another scene, the X-Men are playing softball at the mansion. And as Kitty is talking on the bleachers in the background, Nightcrawler is swinging a bat in the foreground and it makes it look like metaphorically, he's like smashing her with the bat.
0: See, that was the one that I found to be a little bit of a reach.
1: I didn't catch that at first, but yeah. somebody did point it out.
0: I think that one's a little bit of a reach. The other I mean, stuff. Definitely. Look, I, I mean, mean there's, there's plenty of
1: other fuel for yeah. this fire. Uh, since the discovery of the imagery, SIAF has confirmed much of its meaning uh, in a statement released via Facebook, which was translated from Indonesian. He asked for those discussing it to remain civil and then in further commentary on Facebook, he took the position that he's using his art to protest uh, Governor Pernama's blasphemy. A statement from Ms. Marvel writer G. Willow Wilson, who is a prominent Muslim creator, decried the Indonesian interpretation of these verses and called Sayaf's personal philosophy, quote, garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Marvel issued an official response uh, saying, of course, the mentioned artwork in X Men Gold Number One was inserted without knowledge behind its reported meanings. Uh, the implied references do not reflect the views of the writer, editors, and anyone else at Marvel and are in direct opposition of the inclusiveness of Marvel Comics and what the X Men has stood for. Yada yada yada. yada, yada legal
0: yada. speak. We're not racist. Right.
1: Yes. <laughs> we love diversity. Never yeah. mind what we've said for the last. Yeah. Except three weeks. for
0: when it kills sales. Then
1: fuck right. diversity. <laughs> uh, so, Marvel stated that they'd be removing the references from subsequent printings, digital versions, and trade paperbacks, and Make, that they would take- making this issue an instant collector's item. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Marvel subsequently removed the issue from Comixology and terminated Siaf. He is no longer going to be the artist of this book, though his art was already done for the next two issues. Yeah. About him. Saif deleted his Facebook profile and then reinstated it and has since posted that his career is over. He called for peace and understanding. And finally, he did an interview where he blamed the Jews at Disney for his situation. Well,
0: those Jews at Disney are always up to so, something.
1: <laughs> basically, this guy can fuck right off, right? Yeah, I mean,
0: absolutely. Look, Saif is allowed to believe whatever he wants, even if it is racist hate speech. He has that right. Fine. But you don't get to put it in our fucking comics, man. You don't get to do that. And honestly, a lot of people were out there screaming, "How did the editors miss this? Where was the editors?" And I'm giving I'm going to give the editors a pass because think about how many books these guys look at each each month.
1: And it was such a very specific Yeah. Like, how would they even know what they were seeing?
0: Exactly. And editors don't have time to go through and Google every single little thing on each panel that they go, oh, that's kind of weird or whatever. And who knows? Maybe they did say, hey, what is this? this QS, whatever. And Sayef, like he said on Facebook, said like, no, when he backpedaled, by the way, said, no, it's just like a message of joy and hope from the Quran that I love so much or whatever. Now, he can't backpedal on that because the guy directly attended marches in opposition of this president. So yes, this is meant to be a racial statement. This is anti-Jewish. This is anti-Christian. And he doesn't get to backpedal now. Fuck this yeah dude.
1: after this after this happened he actually got to meet with the the leader of this organization that's running these protests this this radical guy and yeah like there's no denying it it's no. not like
0: and we're not going to get into interpretation of the quran here no, no, but no, he not. has been very plain on what this interpretation is right and, and it is a bad racist anti-semitic not real, not racist, but it is an anti-Semitic interpretation and he snuck he took that into his the comics.
1: and he's paying for it. Like, yeah. So, hey, good on you, buddy. But I'm not going to fault... your guns.
0: I'm not going to fault Marvel for this one or the editors because, Jesus Christ, you know who has time to figure this stuff out? An army of fans that are Googling. Views. People on Reddit. Yeah, and people on Reddit. Did Marvel fuck up here? Absolutely. But they're doing the only thing they can do in getting rid of the art from future printings and whatnot This is a sticky, sticky situation, but this is not Marvel's fault.
1: Marvel's having a really bad month, but on this issue, they moved swiftly and decisively. They took the book down from comiXology, they issued the statement, and they fired the guy.
0: Yeah, they handled this the only way it could have been handled. So, I mean, good on Marvel for that. They got out in front of it, said, look, this is a fuck-up. We're sorry. That's all we can say. We'll take as much of it away in the future as possible.
1: (laughs) Really. So let's segue real quick. I, I talked to Matt about it. I, I refuse to give this comic book a rating. We were obviously going to review it on this, on this episode. Uh, I'm not going to dignify it with a rating. I just wish that uh, if he was going to go down in such a blazing ball of fire like this, he had done it with a better comic book.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was on the other side, to be perfectly fair. I said, well, let's review it as a story and ignore that. And just because I don't think it's the fault of the entire creative team. And they are trying to tell a story here. Unfortunately, you're right. This story was just weak. I'm sorry, but this is just a really weak reset of the X-Men. And like we had spoken last week, this was just the safest possible thing they could have done with the X-Men outside of racial hate speech. (laughs) Right, right.
1: And aside from whatever
0: the guy did, I keep saying racial, religious hate speech. I apologize.
1: Aside from whatever the guy inserted into his art, I don't like his art. I'm sorry. I don't either. Uh, this issue was bad.
0: I know. I liked some of Syap's work back when he was working uh, on the Green Lanterns book in DC. I thought he improved quite a bit, but it seems like he's sort of slid back into almost this "I want to be Mark Bagley" type art. But that's just not working, and that really only works for Mark Bagley, and that's the only place I want to see it.
1: The story was fine, but like you said, it's it was like the safest possible. Like, down to the point where they're even making references that I remember Chris Claremont making specifically in X-Men number one in
0: 1991.
1: Right. And it's just, it it was, like, crafted in a lab to be the least offensive thing possible to X-Men fans. And it just turned out to be the most offensive
0: (laughs) on so many (laughs) levels. Yeah, this really is, it it is a cascading failure, unfortunately, and a terrible way to restart the new X-Books. I mean, like and we've been critical even of like the creator choices before any of this happened and man this is not going to make it any easier to sell this book
1: no no all right enough of this let's talk about something fun moving on to happy news
0: There's been a non-stop stream of comic book, film, and television news hitting the internet, including our first look at Taika Waititi's Thor Ragnarok and Ryan Johnson's Star Wars episode VIII, The Last Jedi. I have no idea what number that is. I don't speak Pig Latin. Eleven, I think. Oh, okay. (laughs) Let's talk trailers first. Thor Ragnarok. Now, before we get into it, we have to juxtapose Thor Ragnarok with the Justice League trailer. We have to because they were both hit so close and everyone is talking about it how they felt about the justice league trailer and how they felt about thor ragnarok and i think the best way to illustrate this up Rocks put up a fan-made trailer of bruce wayne ben wayne we'll call him watching the thor ragnarok trailer and emailing it to wonder woman <laughs> Is fantastic. It starts with an email hitting uh, Ben from Tony Stark, and it says, <laughs> like, Bruce, come at me, bro. <laughs> And he clicks it and opens it and watches the Thor Ragnarok trailer, and it's just like, and it's all these shocked, you know, like oh faces as he's looking, at it and he's like his head in his hands, and then he sends an email to Wonder Woman that says, "Have you seen this?" Comes out two weeks before Justice League. Fuck. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok trailer again. Now, and I know Marvel knows how to put this in a perfectly nerdy sugary pill that we're all going to swallow, but
1: man, it was fucking perfect. I mean, it was perfect. So, uh, the only other trailer that has got, like, I've, I love the Marvel movies. We've talked about them at length for years now. Um, and I always love a good trailer. But the only trailer that's gotten me this excited for a Marvel movie was the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. Yeah, yeah. Because it was so effective in the storytelling. Yeah. And they're and playing this, off
0: that big time. Everything from and the,
1: this was, the music. This, this made me feel just like that. Like, yeah. I have not been excited. I have not been this excited to see a Marvel movie in a long time. And I just think it looks amazing.
0: Yeah. It, it looks amazing. It really does just look great. It, it looks fast. It looks fun. And if there's one thing the Thor movies have been criticized for, the first two anyway, were that they were a little too serious and bogged down in mythology, this looks just like a fun romp through outer space. And, yeah. you, and know the you know the Guardians are going to show up. You know they are.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it looked, it had a very Guardians of the Galaxy aesthetic, right down to Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster. Yeah. You know, just uh, invoking that scene with Benicio Del Toro from Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: Looking great, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Gold blooming it right up. Uh, but I, I don't want to actually say too much about what happens in the trailer because I know people are sensitive about spoilers and some people are refusing to watch it. But, like, they led off that trailer with, like, the most killer moment. Oh, Yeah. And Kate Blanchett as Hela is like...
0: She looks amazing. And oh, I can't believe they put her in the big horned headwear. <laughs>
1: like, and yeah. it works, man. It looks scary. So I am very excited for this movie. I can't wait for November to come. Thor
0: wasn't the only thing we got recently. Star Wars finally dropped a trailer for The Last Jedi. Coming this Christmas. I didn't even realize it was that soon.
1: Yeah. I mean... <laughs> kind of late for a first trailer like a teaser really yeah but you know this is star wars they
0: can do whatever the hell they want they could not it's show true. a single trailer and they're still going to make more money than god in the theater. i mean so.
1: rogue rogue one came out this past december and they right. probably didn't want to take away from that i can
0: see that but let's get right into it i mean we could have an entire podcast taking apart what we saw here in the imagery but this definitely looks darker this looks like I mean, it's Empire, right? Prototypical, yeah, second movie in the trilogy, which is always super dark. Now, I gotta say, the first voice we hear is Luke Skywalker, and it's old man Luke Skywalker, and all I could hear was the Joker. (laughs) That's all I could hear. (laughs) It was was like him doing his dark Joker, you know? (laughs) Uh, But this looks amazing. Absolutely amazing.
1: When we got the first teaser for episode seven it was the one it was just that 30 second one with the millennium falcon right coming out from below and then flying through the remains of the star destroyer right right so like as a teaser this is effective uh some people are complaining that it's underwhelming that they're holding back but no they're teasing they're teasing yeah
0: think about the teaser trailer for the new mummy movie that's coming out with tom cruise they literally show you have to? everything that happens in the movie. I guarantee we're seeing the final, the final scenes of Tom Cruise fighting the mummy in that movie. I don't want that in my Star Wars film. This sets yeah. up everything we need to know. We know the characters. We've been reintroduced to them. Here's a couple brief images to show you. Of course, they're back. And we're going to address what went on with the Jedi and the balance of the Force. And honestly, that is the overriding story of the entire Star Wars universe. So what more do you need? What the hell exactly. more do you need to get excited about? Shut up,
1: crybabies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. November, December, winter's going to be a good month or good uh, season for movies.
0: Yeah, definitely. Very
1: excited about both of these.
0: And DC could take, a, pardon me, Warner Brothers could take a page out of both of these books and say, look, if we're going to do Dark, we should do it this way. If we're going to do Fun, we should do it this way. But we can't do both in the same movie because it doesn't fucking work.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I agree. <laughs> before we move on to our final story, Matt, there was a bit of late breaking news yesterday.
0: Uh, yes. Yeah, Josh Brolin
1: has been cast as cable.
0: Yeah. And the way that Ryan Reynolds reacted to it on Twitter was fantastic. He put do? up a tweet says, what the fuck you can't cast Josh Brolin. <laughs> He's like, he already exists in two different comic <laughs> worlds. He was in Sicario and I was in Sabrina, the teenage witch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's great. It's not a choice that I would have leapt to, but I like Josh Brolin. I love
0: it. And he and can And he's
1: grizzly as hell.
0: Yeah, and he can play Thanos and Cable. Who cares? It's two different two different universes. I don't
1: care. He also played Jonah Hex. Yeah. So this'll be like a trifecta of sorts.
0: Yeah, I mean the guy's been all over. In fact, he may have more comic book roles now than Ryan Reynolds, who already
1: has like three. Yeah, that's true. But they're at least tied for three. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, between Ryan Reynolds and Chris Evans, I think uh, yeah. Josh Brolin's taking the lead. All right, well, here we go. It's official, and I've never been so upset to win a nerd bet.
0: Yep, it's all yours, buddy.
1: Freeform has ordered a full first season... Of a squirrel girl centric new Warriors live action comedy.
0: For those of you who don't know, Freeform is a strange new cable channel that exists somewhere in your upper tier that you're probably not paying for and don't have.
1: Freeform is a, is just the new name for ABC Family.
0: Oh, that what it is?
1: Yep, they just changed the name, uh, so it's still they a, dropped ABC the family.
0: Comedy. Okay.
1: Right? Yeah. Now it's for now it's for brooding teens. <laughs> Uh, the show is set to debut in 2018. New Warriors is framed as Marvel's, quote, first foray into comedy for a television series. The first season is set for 10 30-minute episodes. Great. Uh, here's a little bit about it. Marvel's New Warriors is about six young people with powers living and working together with powers and abilities on the opposite end of the spectrum of the Avengers. The New Warriors want to make a difference in the world, even if the world isn't ready. Not quite super, not yet heroes. Marvel's New Warriors is about that time in your life when you first enter adulthood and feel like you can do everything and nothing at once. Cue Party of Five theme song from Green Day or whoever, whatever show that was.
0: Oh, you forgot the end, the really cool part. Except in this world, bad guys can be as terrifying as bad dates. Oh my God, I did. This sounds fucking awful. (laughs) I, oh, God, it sounds terrible. Just so terrible. Matt,
1: and I, Matt and I made a nerd bet some time ago uh, where I stated that there would be a live-action version of Squirrel Girl somewhere within the next five years. Ugh. Matt said, no way. And here we are. I'm
0: going to make a new <laughs> nerd bet. I'm going to make a new nerd bet. Canceled in six episodes.
1: Well, I mean, they've ordered a full 10, so doesn't you've already mean, lost.
0: Doesn't mean they're arrow home. That just means they ordered them.
1: I'm not sure if you have a firm grasp on the quality of programming that Freeform has to
0: offer. <laughs> Maybe I don't, but I'm still saying canceled <laughs> after six episodes.
1: So we talked about this when this rumor came up a while ago. I don't need a comedy version of the new Warriors. I would have been fine if they just made a Squirrel Girl show and, and cast it with six completely made up. Funny superheroes. Yeah. Why do you gotta drag the new warriors into it?
0: Well, and the other side of this is whenever they put a word like comedy in, you know, the explanation of the show, you end up with a show like powerless, where it's like, okay, we got comedy writers that don't know shit about superheroes and don't really understand any of the universe, but they've got a sort of a wacky idea of how each character should be, and now let's make them ridiculous and slapstick and stupid, you know? Now, hold
1: on now. Ugh. I'm here to tell you that I have caught up on all the episodes of Powerless. It's not good. And it is good. No. It's good. No,
0: you're apologizing. You're wrong. No way. It sucks.
1: The first episode was bad. The The, first couple weren't great. The first four sucked. No. I quit after four. I'm telling you, it is very funny.
0: Oh, please. I find that very hard to believe. Regardless, I am not looking forward to this. I do not trust the people at Freeform to handle the New Warriors or Squirrel Girl. Well, they're also making Cloak
1: and Dagger. Yeah. Which, so we'll see. Uh, but you know what this means? Squirrel Girl plus the New Warriors means definitely speedball. And if speedball don't, if they get, get, don't speedball get your hopes up wrong, yet,
0: buddy, we'll see
1: <laughs> if they get speedball wrong. I am going to drive to that studio and burn it to the ground.
0: Well, you heard it here, folks threats of arson from joe patrick this is my
1: admission of guilt
0: so when the freeform building burns to the ground (laughs) joe patrick's gonna need an (laughs) ironclad alibi
1: (laughs) okay that's enough of that that's the big news for this week if you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed there was a lot going on this week yeah there was head over to the two-headed nerd forums big news section let's talk it out
0: Every Sunday, the chief creative officer of the Squirrel Girl Erotic Fanfic Forum, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week. In everybody's favorite digital nerd sanctuary, the THN Forums, they're much cleaner.
1: Okay? Take your perversion over there. Joe Patrick, what are we asking <laughs> the nerds this week? This week's question comes from Black Scorpion number three, who writes, quote, Heel turns and face turns. WrestleMania aired two weeks ago. And for four straight years, Vince McMahon has failed to get audiences to cheer for the man he wants to celebrate as a hero, Roman Reigns.
0: I would say four damn years, but, you know, whatever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he'd be better off as a villain. In that vein, what hero or villain would be a better character if they just switched sides?
0: Or maybe, I want to add to it, or picked a side. Because there are some that go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's just head spinning. (laughs) Your magnetos and whatnot. Right. So we'll say switch sides or pick the side and stayed
1: there. Fair. All right. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, April 21st to get us your answer or to talk about anything from this episode or the weekend nerd news. You can call the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894 and leave a message there. Or you can send an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, you've got two minutes to get it done. You will get cut off. That's how it is. Yep, you got to share the air. As part of the all-new, all-different THN cover-to-cover, you'll also be able to call in live using the Ziggurat Hotline. We'll send out a Twitter blast and a Facebook burst and a, a, a LinkedIn weather balloon, whatever yeah. other.
0: <laughs> LinkedIn weather balloon.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a LinkedIn Aldus <oldest> signal. <laughs> you'll know when we're going to go live and you'll have that time to call in and chat with us as we talk about whatever's on your mind, whatever's on your nerdy little diseased mind. The
0: moral of the story is you got to follow us on Twitter and Facebook if you want to get on the show. Do it.
1: Absolutely.
0: If you need more than two minutes or you're just, you know, too much of a scaredy cat crybaby to call in live, you can head over to teach and web forums and join our loyal cadre of listeners. There you can write as much as you want about this question. And it's a good one. A lot of characters we could discuss. Sabretooth, Magneto, the Red Hood. You know, I mean, (laughs) seriously, pick a side, kids. And those
1: are just just bad guys that are sometimes good guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's review time in the ziggurat where matt and i smear our eastern candy colored fingers all over the pages of two comics that will be lucky to qualify for fine condition when we're done with them now matt you won the peep flavored oreo eating contest
0: that's a real thing by the way and they're disgusting
1: <laughs> you go first you've earned it Joe,
0: this week I am reviewing Rock Candy Mountain from Image. This came out last week. Written and drawn by Kyle Starks, 32 pages for $3.99. The creator of Sex Castle returns to spin a tale of Jackson, a hobo riding the rails in search of the mythological Rock Candy Mountain, as made famous by Harry McClintock in his song about a hobo haven that he recorded back in 1928. In the big rock candy mountain. You know that song. It's great. Joe and I first encountered Stark's work when we reviewed his open love letter to 80s action films, Sex Castle, way back in THN episode 201, only available at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Fuck you, Apple. Stark's (laughs) Stark's art is, as we love to say, deceptively simple, but perfect for a story like this. It's almost like he ignores the details of his art sometimes to tell the story until exactly the right time for the story to lean on the art. The entire story here takes place at night, so his color palette consists of blues and blacks with only an occasional flash of orange from a lantern or a fire that breaks out. The whole design of this book is just fantastic. It's packed with font that looks hand-screened and gives the titles as old-timey playbill look to take you back to the Dust Bowl of America. The main character, Jackson, doesn't play by anyone's rules, and much like Sex Castle, he's a lone wolf with a singular purpose, to find Rock Candy Mountain. In this first issue, he meets a hapless traveler new to the hobo life and butts heads with the hobo king with the rails. This leads to some... St- some of Stark's famous, ridiculous action scenes, and one of the best lines of dialogue I've ever read. (laughs) One of the characters is watching Jackson fight a bunch of hobos and says, he's got punch diarrhea and their faces are the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Starks has created a very simple story with huge mythology behind it and another one of his badass action stars to lead us down the rails. This was so much fun, and I can't give it a bigger buy it. Don't just thumb through this and go, well, this art looks like crap, whatever. Give it a read. It is such a great time.
1: I totally agree, and thank you for putting that quote in there, because I was trying to remember it for the entire review. (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) But yeah, this was, I mean, it it had those moments of ridiculous comedy and dialogue, but the premise was treated with a level of care yes, and respect that I was not expecting from the author of Sex Castle. No,
0: it very much like, reminded me of, like, the Coen Brothers' O Brother Warato movie, which, right. again, like, uh, put this mythological story of Jason the Argonauts trying to return home into Dust Bowl America with, like, these three idiots.
1: <laughs> right. I mean? Like, I... If there was a an essay in the back about Rock Candy Mountain, and I read the entire thing, just waiting for it to be farcical. Right. But it's not. It's like a legit essay about the history of the myth of Rock Candy Mountain yeah. and the music. And like, and so this is like a serious thing. Yeah. That and he's he's kind of uh, put into this uh, humorous story, but it's he's the level of care and thought that he's put into it, truly impressive. I like his art. Like we've said, it is a, um a—it's sort of in the style of of cartoonists that
0: just say aren't necessarily, deceptively simple. <laughs> no, no, no. I
1: mean, and I think that should be the for, like,
0: title of this week's show: Deceptively Simple. <laughs> sure. Uh,
1: he's in the vein of artists that have have become popular these days, where their cartooning style is less technically, yes, uh, savvy. But the storytelling and the, the emotion that they are able to put into it is what carries it.
0: Well, I would say his and, art is uniquely a part of his storytelling. And the two, since he is writing and drawing this, the two are one and the same and play off each other so well. I mean, he yeah, uses I, his sort of ridiculous cartoon art to tell a ridiculous cartoon story that comes from a heartfelt place and plays on real Hobo mythology tropes that are out there. <laughs>
1: it's crazy. Yeah, I loved it. It's a buy it for me as well. This was a real pleasant surprise. Joey, what comic do you get your grubby little hands on this week? This week, I am reviewing God Shaper, number one from Boom Studios, written by Cy Spurrier, with art by Jonas Goonface. Wow! <laughs> it's thirty-two pages for three ninety-nine. How
0: about that kid got his ass kicked on the playground? <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know if it's his given name.
0: Goonfer.
1: <laughs> Here's your solicit. Godshaper introduces a vast world where there's a god for every person and a person for every god. Though for Na, unfortunately, exceptions may apply. People like him are Godshapers, godless social pariahs with the ability to mold and shape the gods of others. Paired with Bud, an off-kilter but affectionate god without a human, the two travel from town to town looking for shelter, a hot meal, and the next paying rock and roll gig. So really, we got two two books books about hobos. Two hobo books. Yeah. (laughs) Weird. We're big fans of Cy Spirier here in the Ziggurat. We've covered many of his creator-owned sci-fi fantasy titles like Six-Gun Gorilla and The Spire. God Shaper, like everything else he's done, is set in a fully realized world, completely unique from what he's done before. God Shaper takes place on Earth, more or less, except that the laws of physics collapsed in the late 50s, leaving the world frozen with a certain cultural way of life and with just the simplest level of technology. And the only thing that prevented humanity from slipping back into the dark ages was the presence of these gods, one for every human being, that sort of carries society along and lets it cling to some semblance of modern life. And like the solicit said, there are exceptions to this symbiosis. Bud isn't N.A.'s god. He's N.A.'s partner in crime. And they find themselves reluctantly defending someone being threatened by the town's corrupt leadership. I love this world that Spurrier and Goonface have created. People have a sort of half-assed substitute for some of their lost technology thanks to these gods. And society is enduring. And so it's kind of stuck in this 50s aesthetic with the way people talk and the things that they're into N.A. makes a living going from town to town, reshaping people's gods. But his real passion is music. He he plays underground rock and roll shows for the oddballs that don't fit into hep mainstream society. And on stage, he's like this pansexual rock god, smooching anybody that wants him, and that's everybody. Just, everybody wants him. Just like me. Just like you. Yep. I thought I was reading about you. Smooching everybody. Yeah. <laughs> But it's all based on a lie, because N.A. is a shaper, he has no god, and Bud is a god that has no human, and so they're outcasts in society. And I like the, the way that the book puts it, about shapers, is that everybody needs them, but nobody wants them. And it's such a rich, detailed world, and Spurrier does an amazing job drawing you into N.A.'s tale. Shaper marks the artistic debut of Jonas Goonface, not move his over, real name. Move over, Mac Chatter. Jonas yeah, right. Goonface is here. <laughs> and I thought his work was absolutely stunning. The panels are packed with rich detail and vibrant color. The character designs for both the gods and the humans are all varied and unique. And the details that Goonface packs into the varying panel layouts go a long way towards showing you how this world actually works like the lady selling milkshakes being vomited out of the mouth of her God. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, there's broken down cars everywhere because everything with, a, with a, an internal combustion engine just dropped dead in 1958. So the landscape is like overgrown with trees but also littered with these cool old cars. I was especially stricken by one scene where N.A. uses his powers to casually reshape the powers and the appearance of an imposing, like this big, beefy, scary-looking god that belongs to the leader of the local merchants. The god resists. Like, he fights him, but he's helpless against NA's powers. And you get the impression that the relationship between the gods and the humans can be more subservient than symbiotic sometimes. It's distressing, and it was beautifully illustrated. I loved this book. I can't wait for more... From this creative team, Jonas Goonface, where the hell have you been all my life? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the high quality of the story and art in shaper number one have created this world that I was instantly sucked into. I'm giving it a huge buy it.
0: Yeah, this is what Cy Spurrier does best. And it's just come up with wacky ideas that can only work in the pages of a comic book. And just nail them. Absolutely nail them. And we're going to talk... A little bit here in the ludicrous speed round, I'm going to talk about a book where another world was developed and it was kind of, meh, whatever. But, God, just this idea on paper is so nuts. And being able to make it work as smoothly as he did is incredible. It, the two came together so well. Face's art is incredible, fleshing out Spurrier's bizarre world. I love this. It gets a huge buy from me. So that is a double buy it for Rock Candy Mountain and a double buy it for Godshaper. Now that we're done with our hobo double feature, let us know what you thought of these comics. We want to hear if we got it right, if we got it wrong, head to the THN forums. Tell us what you thought about Godshaper and Big Rock Candy Mountain.
1: NHL playoff season is here and I can't name one team competing for the coveted Hockey Super Bowl? It's
0: a Stanley Cup. Come on.
1: Look, I knew it was something (laughs) dish-related. But Matt has converted the ziggurat into a monolith of screens and St. Louis Blues memorabilia and stocked the fridge with more Labatt's Blue than I've ever seen in one place.
0: Best Canadian beer in the world.
1: So join me now as I peel Matt away from the Blues Wild series to briefly review 10 more of this week's and last week's comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Of Galahad, number one, published by no one. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet, anyway. What the hell? Galahad is a golem, an enchanted suit of armor carrying out the last request of the deceased gardener that brought it to life. So, when a young hedge witch named Bryn discovers some dangerous fey plant life corrupting Galahad's garden, the pair set out to return it to the fairy world where it belongs. I think I dated
0: a hedge witch once. (laughs)
1: This is the lead story in an anthology called Galahad and the Far-Off Horizon, which is a collection of five stories written by Hansel Moreno and drawn by an assortment of artists. This story is drawn by Julian Adkins, who beautifully illustrates Galahad's story, and it would fit right at home as an animated film from Studio Ghibli. Whoa. I got a real Miyazaki vibe from it. It was beautiful and wonderful. This project is on Kickstarter right now, and by the time you hear this, it'll have about a week left to go. So I urge you, I'm going to put a link to the fundraiser in the show notes. I highly recommend that you check it out, back the project I did, and at the time of this recording, they still need a little bit of help to reach their goal. So, Galahad and the far Half Horizon, buy it! Weapon X number one from Marvel.
0: Let me start by saying, I don't hate old man Logan, but he's not my wolfie.
1: I also don't hate Greg Pak, but
0: he's no Rick Remender. Once again, Marvel is trying to recapture the magic of Remender's X-Force run, but this time, it's with old man Logan, seeking out help from Sabretooth, who is still inversed, yes? sure. I, I think, to yeah. fend off crazy cybernetic mutant killing machines built by the resurrected Weapon X program. So, this is the dark and violent X title, but nothing here feels new, fresh, or even really necessary. And didn't Wolvie just die heroically ridding the world of the Weapon X program a couple years ago? Do we need a new Weapon X Dark Mutant book? Yeah, I don't know. I'm giving it a skim. It,
1: But um, this is what I was talking about when I reviewed X-Men Prime. I appreciate the fact that this is not a group of Black Ops mutants sent out to murder enemies. I suppose by Storm or whoever.
0: But, like, Weapon X, again, groan. Yeah, I get it. More cybernetic killing, you know, mutant killing machines, groan. Not Wolverine teaming up with not really Sabretooth, Eh, whatever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) X-Men Blue, number one, from Marvel. The original five time-displaced X-Men have learned that the past of this world is not their own. They were plucked from the history of a different timeline, and that's why they can't go back. What? What? Yeah, now they're striking out on their own to make a place for themselves in a world that doesn't belong to them, and running into some classic X-Men baddies along the way. I know I've been saying that the time-lost X-Men have worn out their welcome, but this new twist on their origin, which was revealed in the finale of all-new X-Men, has kind of turned me around on it. I found myself really enjoying this issue. It has an exciting youthful energy and great visual style thanks to the artists Jorge Molina, Matteo Bufani and Matt Mila.
0: <laughs> Apologies to all three creators. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Butchering but it name.
1: kind of visually and stylistically reminded me of the new Voltron cartoon.
0: Yeah. Yes. Strangely.
1: And they also do that thing at the end where they have a one page teaser for the coming year. Right. And some of those teasers made me giggle with excitement. This And I'm saying that this might be my favorite thing that Cullen Bunn has written for Marvel so far.
0: Okay, I'll I'll agree with that. I'd still kind of meh on the whole thing, but
1: yeah, I agree. I I liked it. I went in with low expectations. I was very pleasantly surprised. I agree that the angels' cosmic wings are dumb, but I'm giving X-Men Blue a buy-it. I really liked it. Skim it for me. Z Nation, number one from Dynamite.
0: Eager to cash in on The Walking Dead fans that just can't get enough of zombie stuff, Dynamite offers a less heady, more action-centric post-zombie apocalypse story, featuring badass government agents with melee weapons too ridiculous for a DD campaign. This badass squad has been tasked with recovering a food source named Soylent Z. Revolutionary oh because it's powdered. You just add water and food appears, I guess. Sort of like astronaut ice cream. Only, and I'm calling my shot here, they don't reveal it in the comic. Silent Z is made of zombies! Which is dumb, (laughs) if true. But I won't be following up on my theory because the comic was also dumb. So, leave it. (laughs) I mean, you know that that's true.
1: Yeah, of course it is.
0: Just stupid. Who cares?
1: Black Cloud, number one from Image. Zelda is a homeless woman that offers a service that the rich and powerful clamor for she can transport her clients to some kind of dream world more exhilarating than any drug. The problem is, something is hunting her in that world, and every time she goes back, it gets closer. Whoa. This premise reminded me a little bit of the Matt Kent, David Rubin series, Ether, just in the sense, you know, it's like a a normal person that goes into a fantasy world. Right. Uh, And that's definitely a compliment. But I was left wishing that writers Jason Latour and Ivan Brandon had done more to spell out this otherworldly place. Maybe that's by design. You know, I did. I wanted more. When I'm it was
0: guessing done. it is. I think this is a slow burn.
1: Greg Hinkle's art is as beautiful as I've come to expect from him. Like I said, I finished the issue wanting more. Definitely not a bad thing. Black Cloud number one gets a buy it. Buy it
0: for me, too. I really like this.
1: Black Panther and the crew, number one from
0: Marvel. Weird title for a book starring Misty Knight, who writer Tanisi Coates is writing as a mirror image of the character from the Luke Cage Netflix show. This is a pretty big character change for her. What do you mean? She's a full on cop again. She's hanging out with the cops, doing cop stuff, talking like a cop. And Misty Knight has not been like that for quite a while. She still has a robot arm, though. And I'm fine with it, because the story is great, and it's ripped straight from the headlines. An ex-leader of a crew of superhumans that wants protected Harlem dies in a jail cell, and the cops aren't talking. Harlem's at its boiling point, and only Misty Knight seems to be willing to investigate the death and prevent a riot. This is a perfectly good story for Misty and Luke, who, I should mention, is not in this issue. But I have to wonder what the hell Storm and the Black Panther are going to do here. Why not make this a Luke and Misty book? Uh, oh, Almost forgot, Black Panther has a movie coming hey, out Hey,
2: there it is <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great first issue, but Black Panther and the crew Only features two of the characters that the cover boasts And right on the cover it says Featuring Storm, Misty Knight, the Black Panther, and Luke Cage like, No, nope, not at all There's only two of those characters here It's a slow burn, just I like guess. Black Cloud we' giving it a buy it because the story is really good I just don't know uh, if we need the Black Panther and Storm here
1: Spencer and Locky, number one, from Action Lab Dangerous Home. What if Calvin came from an abusive, broken home and grew up to be a hard-boiled homicide cop that carried his imaginary friend Hobbs with him to crime scenes? Holy shit. <laughs> that is the premise behind Spencer and Lock. And I kind of loved it. Writer David Pipos. sorry, I don't know how to say that, and artists Jorge Santiago and Jason Smith craft a compelling and personal mystery for Detective Locke, peppered with plenty of references to the beloved comic strip that inspired them, it shouldn't have worked. It totally did. I'm giving Spencer and lock number one a buy-in. All right. Immortal Brothers, The Green Knight, number one from Valiant. This
0: one-shot reimagines the famous tale of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight by inserting Armstrong, the Eternal Warrior, and Ivar the Time Walker into the lore. Fred Van Lente writes another fun and lighthearted story of the Valiant U's ridiculous history with Ord kicking ass as usual on art duties. Immortal Brothers, Green Knight is 48 pages of excellent storytelling with a real sense of humor and fun behind it. Buy it. This was just fun.
1: I loved this. I read it this morning. And it was great. I gotta give credit to Valiant for just like saying fuck it and putting out a one shot for no good reason.
0: Yeah, like we can do whatever we want with it. This doesn't necessarily fit in any of these it, stories.
1: It doesn't I think have it's just, anything to do with anything.
0: No, I think it's just Fred Van Lentis like really loves this t- the story of Sir Goblin and the Green Knight and wanted to play with it and he did and it was great. Royals, number one, from Marvel.
1: I don't take any issue with the concept of the Inhumans heading into space to find the hidden history of their people. No. It's compelling, even. Absolutely. And writer Al Ewing sells it with his script. Totally. Grant Morrison's Marvel Boy is a fun addition to the cast. Sure. And I would be curious to see where the story goes, but the problem is that this book is a complete mismatch between story and art. Oh,
0: my God. I can't agree more.
1: My favorite interpretation of the Inhumans, no offense to Jack Kirby who co-created the characters, obviously. Right. But I love the Inhumans when they are creepy and mysterious. Yes. Just like they were portrayed in that Paul Jenkins J. Lee story in the late 90s. Not as like bombastic Bruckheimer-esque action.
0: Or drawn like Bratz dolls? He made Medusa yeah. look like one of those big-eyed, manga-fied, zero-inch waist Bratz dolls.
1: It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Every character is bursting with muscles and energy. I'm not really a fan of artist John Boyne Myers. I'm I've not said this either. before. I do think that he's good at what he does. I just don't think it's a good fit for this story. And because of that, I'm giving Royals number one a It Agreed. Rose, number one, from Image.
0: Meredith Finch takes on her first monthly book with the story of Rose, a magic user in a land where an evil king se- pardon me, where an evil queen seeks to cleanse the kingdom of magic. But it turns out Rose is the last hope. And along with a giant magic cat from a line of giant magic cats, spelled K-H-A-T-Z, because I guess they're Jewish, named Thorn... Grown The two will set out on a generic quest to return generic magic to generic people and slay the generic evil queen that probably has some cliched and generic reason for just being plain nasty. The story is a mishmash of fantasy tropes that I really didn't care about. But Igara's art is beautiful and really does make this world amazing to look at, even with the bland story. I'm giving this a skimming.
2: Just to
1: just to correct you real quick, this isn't her first monthly book. She did write Wonder Woman for like two years.
0: Yeah, but that was with her husband David Finch. This is her first yeah. solo monthly book.
1: I think they kind of does, I think they kind of admitted that Finch David Finch was not actually writing. it. Oh, okay. But uh, this is her first creator-owned work, and I'm with you. Like I I read like I got about halfway through it, and I'm like, this is like every yeah. fantasy story with a mystical prophecy or whatever nonsense that I've ever read. Yep, and. The cartoonish elements, like with the race of magical cats spelled K-H-A-T-Z. I was like, it's like a cartoon from the 90s. And
0: Rose and Thorn. Really? That's the best you could do? Yeah.
1: Come on. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just am not a fan of either of the finches. No. Whack!
0: That is your honor of the weekend. Whack! is the sound of Rose braining a generic scoundrel as seen in the pages of Rose number one. If you like Han Solo, you'll probably like this guy. If you need any more speedy reviews of this week's comics, head over to twoeditnerd.com and check out Iron Myers' Mished and Mashed Ludicrous Speed Reviews.
1: Matt, are you ready for the annual Ziggurat Easter egg hunt? Are we really doing this again? Come on, don't be such an Easter Grinch. Now let's go dig our Brothers grim costumes out of wardrobe with the Vashanti in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We keep it right next to the Cloak of Levitation. (laughs) And we'll go fire some corrosive eggs at the moment! That wardrobe is a gateway to a magic pocket
0: dimension and I can't find shit in there! We're gonna be in there all day sorting through cloaks and gauntlets
1: and Mexican fucking wrestling masks! Come on, buddy! We can even tell the nerds what we're excited to read next week while we rummage.
0: Fine, fine. Next week, I am excited for Shaolin Cowboy, who will stop the rain, R-E-I-G-N. It's plain old rule words. I love it. Number one from Dark Horse, written and drawn by the amazing Jeff Darrow, 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Who doesn't like Surf and Turf? Well, what do you do when Surf and Turf doesn't like you? The Eisner Award losing and winning drawing room talk fest, the Shaolin Cowboy, returns, and will try to answer those questions as the titular hero finds that his road to hell is paved not with good intentions, but an old nameless hell, bent on bloody revenge again! I love Shaolin I just Shaolin hope it's Cowboy. not
1: three issues of the Shaolin Cowboy just cutting through the same army of cows and sharks
0: i don't care if it is i love shaolin cowboy i love jeff darrow's art it is insane this book is wonderful pick this up joe
1: patrick what are you reading next week next week i am excited Um, excited in quotes curiously
0: excited
1: nick fury number one from marvel comics written by james robinson with art by akko it's 32 pages for 3.99
0: I still don't know what an echo is. Is this a person? Is it an idea? Is it a computer?
1: Fury! Nick Fury! (laughs) The world is a dangerous place, and there's danger in drawing attention to your plans. When S.H.I.E.L.D. needs a lone agent to infiltrate, capture, and remain anonymous, there's no one better than Nick Fury! An all-new era for the Super Spy begins here as Fury is sent on a top-secret mission to the French Riviera. He'll need to outmaneuver the enemy as the complex dance of espionage begins. But will he meet his match in the mysterious Frankie Noble? Oh, damn. <laughs> Grab the edge of your seat and don't let go. This caper's just getting started. You'll pay for the entire seat, but you'll only need the edge. <laughs> I, I feel like the statute of limitations on being mad about what's happened to Nick Fury has probably expired, eh. and I should just get over it.
0: <laughs> Not for me, man. I'm still fighting that war.
1: Oh, I'll tell you what. They doubled down on it in the unworthy Thor two weeks ago where they had whatever creepy space monster that the original Nick Fury turned into show up. Yeah. Did you catch that? Yep. Anyway, this is the Samuel L. Jackson based son of Nick Fury, who is now in the main Marvel universe as Nick Fury jr. Agent of shield. And I'm telling you why I picked this because of Akko who drew the amazing midnighter book. Yeah. And this looks like full-on Jim Steranko, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. weirdness. I think it's going to be a visually stunning. I do like James Robinson. We've discussed this. But I'm willing to give it a chance.
0: Yeah. No, I, I mean, it could be a lot of fun. I hope it is. Because I don't care about this character. I just don't. I, I don't Maybe care this will all. be a
1: vehicle for the original Nick Fury to at least stop living on the moon as some sort of space monster
0: yeah something i don't know and honestly i would like to see them both together i would like to see if this is the son of nick fury i would like to see nick fury senior calling the shots guiding him whatever grooming him or whatever uh, using him as a double agent in shield to do whatever i'd like to see something like that and that might make me warm to the character more
1: I'd be into that as well. The THN trade
0: of the week goes to Hellboy into the silent sea, the hardcover from dark horse comics written by Mike Magnola and Gary Gianni with art by Gary Gianni. It's 56 pages for 1499. Did this need to be a hardcover?
1: Now dark horse has done these before these little one shot hardcovers. I
0: know. So here's your solicit.
1: 1499 is not exactly a steal.
0: No, not for 56 pages. I mean, just tell it in like, to a limited series of two issues or something—I don't know. Hellboy sets sail from the wreckage of a deserted island, only to cross paths with a ghost ship. Taken captive by the Phantom Crew that plans to sell him to the circus, Hellboy is dragged along with a captain who will stop at nothing in pursuit of a powerful sea creature. Following the events of Hellboy, the island, Gary Gianni draws Hellboy in a brand new graphic novel. I love Gary Gianni. Love that guy. Loved his creator Monster of Man. Monster Men. Yes. Loved all the other Hellboy stuff he's done. This will be great. I just just put it out in a two-issue series. That's all I ask. You, you know, know, I mean,
1: at least there's precedent for this. I get it. they've done this before. It's I get it. it's like the third or fourth one in a series of them.
0: I just don't care about the little hardcovers. I don't. But the story's gonna be so great that I'm probably gonna pick it up, you jerks. Thanks. <laughs> Oh, great. Looks like Joe and I are going to waste a few hours shooting eggs at Mole Man. Then we can celebrate Easter the right way. Getting high, watching Space Jam, and eating a shitload of Cadbury cream eggs. In the meantime, I hope you nerds have a happy Easter weekend. And be sure to let us know what you plan on reading next week.
1: Is East Jam uh, an Easter movie? It's
0: got Bugs Bunny in it, so yeah. <laughs>
1: the f*** is that guy? Seeing as it's Easter, it only seemed appropriate for Matt and I to highlight some of comics' most famous bunny rabbits. As part of a special Who the Hell is This Guy segment Easter Bunny edition. Matt, which rascally rabbit did you pick to highlight first?
0: Joe, there's a lot of anthropomorphic characters out there, and it seems that rabbits get the short shift on the spectrum, if you ask me. There's only really a few to discuss but arguably the most important yusagi yojimbo created by stan sakai more than 20 years ago yusagi has been around forever he's a samurai rabbit yusagi appeared in 1984. he's been around forever Stan Sakai created Usagi, a samurai rabbit living in the Edo period of Japanese history. So this is basically a retelling of Shogun Samurai Wars featuring wandering samurai master Usagi, who is a rabbit that rides a horse, awkwardly enough. <laughs>
2: don't know.
0: Horses seem to be the only animals in the story that aren't anthropomorphized. But Horses are just horses. Yeah, they're just horses. And it makes sense because that's how all the samurais got around. Yusagi first appeared in a book called Albedo Anthropomorphics number two. It was published by a company called Thoughts and Images. Albedo comics were all anthropomorphic animal stories. The main one, Albedo, was a sci-fi story. And again, a bunch of critters running around. Later on, he would pop up in a series called Critters and then finally, Yusagi would get his own series. According to Yusagi's Wikipedia, Sakai originally planned for Yusagi and the other characters to all be humans in the stories explicitly modeled after the life of Miyamoto Musashi, a very famous, legendary Sam uh, very famous and legendary samurai of yore. however once he started doodling he drew rabbit ears instead of a top in a top knot instead of the hair boom Yusagi Yojimbo was born and I would argue if this character is not a rabbit we may not have ever heard from him again one of the only reasons I checked out the book was because it was a rabbit with a sword and I had to know what it was years and years and years ago I instantly fell in love you just
1: have a huge rabbit fetish
0: (laughs) i've never stopped reading yusagi since then i love samurais and the this period of japanese history and comics and movies about them but the only comic that i've consistently returned to from this period is yusagi yojimbo i love yusagi you should check him out too joe patrick what
1: rabbit did you choose to discuss my first Wabbit is a star of page and screen not seen quite some time, but if you were a child of the 90s, you may remember him. That's right. His name is Bucky O'Hare.
0: <laughs> oh, boy.
1: <laughs> the green rabbit space captain that first appeared in a comic book called Echo of Future Past number 1 in 1984. However, according to Wikipedia... He was created by writer Larry Hama and artist Michael Golden in the late 70s. It just took him a few years to get him into print. The story of Bucky O'Hare follows a parallel universe uh, called the Aniverse, where there is an ongoing war between the slightly inept United Animals Federation, which is run by mammals, and the sinister Toad Empire, which is led by a vast computer system known as complex with a K which has brainwashed the toad population so Bucky has appeared in comics uh there has been a video game of him and he even had a tv show in the late 80s uh early 90s oh yeah 1991 it aired yeah Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars and I remember it I remember when it came on I don't remember actually watching it I think it was on at like 6 30 in the morning before school so it was the sort of thing that I only caught sometimes. But yeah, giant green rabbit, pilots a spaceship, fights evil frogs. What's well, not to like?
0: I mean, give me a break. <laughs> and if you like, there's a full playthrough of the Bucky O'Hare video game on YouTube that you can watch. It only takes 30 seconds. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> I remember playing it when I was young. That game sucked.
1: Bucky has a cast of similarly anthropomorphic animal crewmates. There's Jenny, the first mate, she's a cat. Uh, Willie DeWitt, the engineer, is somehow a human being uh, who gets transported to the anniverse through a a dimensional portal. Deadeye Duck is the gunner. He's got four arms. He's a space pirate. There's Blinky, who is an android, so not really an animal, but still. And then Bruiser, who is a baboon, a betelgeuse berserker baboon.
0: betelgeuse (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's pronounced Beetlejuiceian. Yeah,
0: it's from Beetlejuice. It's the name of a real star cluster.
1: Yeah, I know, but I don't think that's how it's actually pronounced. <laughs> I thought it was pronounced Betelgeuse. Anyway, eh, regardless. Who knows?
0: Now, uh, little-known Bucky O'Hare, we'll call it trivia, the Marvel Star Wars comic, when it first appeared, had a green rabbit on the cover. Yeah, Jackson. Totally resembled Bucky O'Hare. <laughs> like, no question about it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think, in fact, that there is some dispute about whether or not, like, it was some, maybe supposed to be Bucky O'Hare. Right. Or there was a copyright dispute between Marvel and the uh, Hama and Golden because of Bucky O'Hare. But yeah, people hated him because it was a giant green space bunny in Star Wars. Yep.
0: Jack's Bucktooth was his name.
1: <laughs> all right. All right. Who's your next rabbit?
0: My next rabbit has to be Superman Homage. Captain Carrot, the leader of Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew. He was created by Roy Thomas and Scott Shaw and first appeared in a weird little insert that DC was putting in comics back in 1982 in New Titans number 16. It was uh, like a little comedy insert thing. I don't...
1: No, uh, DC used to preview new titles that way. Oh, okay. Uh, the, new, the new Teen Titans first appeared in a similar insert in DC Comics Presents.
0: Okay, there you go. Captain Carrot was a superhero living on the other dimensional world of Earth. It was an alternate Earth populated by sentient animals. Later, it was redesigned as Earth-26 in the new DC multiverse, and Captain Carrot even popped up in Grant Morrison's Multiversity. He was referred to as Roger Rabbit, which was his alter ego but later became Rodney Rabbit, I'm guessing to avoid legal issues, right?
1: (laughs) Probably, yeah. Yeah.
0: Rodney works for Earthseas DC Comics as a writer and artist, primarily on the comic Just A Lotta Animals. (laughs) (laughs) Groan. Yeah, just terrible. Captain Carrot was basically just this... Funny attempt at an animal Superman. He got his power from eating a cosmic carrot. This imbued him with very superpowers, including limited invulnerability, superhuman strength, enhanced speed, stamina, hearing, and vision, and the ability to make gigantic, powerful leaps. Get it? Haha. His powers are the only ones out of the zoo crew that are not permanent. After 24 hours or a period of extreme exertion, his powers wear off. Gotta eat another cosmic carrot. As such, Rodney keeps a window box full of carrots, plus his chunk of the meteorite that made them cosmic carrots, to ensure a continuous supply. And he keeps two holstered in his. So he's like a drug
1: dealer. Uh, He's more like
0: Our Man, the original. He's getting
1: high on his own supply.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He eats his carrot, has his powers for a while. He's Captain Carrot. There you go, Joe Patrick. Back to you.
1: All right, our fourth and final rabbit of note this week is also a super rabbit hoppy the marvel bunny (laughs) who i think of all of our all of our choices is the most long-lived he first appeared in Fawcett's funny animals number one in december of 1942
0: yeah that's hardcore golden age
1: going strong hoppy was a bunny rabbit who lived in the town of Funny Animalville on (laughs) Earth C+.
0: Aptly named Funny Animalville. (laughs) Right. So I'm going to say Captain Carrot is a direct ripoff of Hoppy.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure homage for sure. No doubt. Hoppy lived on a world with an assortment of other talking animals. On his world, Captain Marvel, the Shazam, was a fictional character in comic books, and Hoppy was a big comic book fan. One day, he decided to emulate his hero and spoke the magic word Shazam. And surprisingly, he actually transformed into a superheroic Captain Marvel esque bunny, complete with red costume, lightning bolt, and cape. He had uh, a girlfriend who was a bunny named Millie. He had uh, a-, a nemesis who was like Black Adam esque, named aptly Captain Black Bunny. And they eventually met. Captain Marvel and the Marvel family when they were transported to Earth-S, which is where they lived prior to Crisis on Infinite Earths.
0: Real quick, let's back up. For those of you who don't right. know, Fawcett later became DC Comics. So well, DC bought Fawcett. Yeah, so, so DC, Hoppy the yeah, Marvel the bunny is not a Marvel character. It's effectively part of DC.
1: Yeah, I know. The, the, the Shazam Captain Marvel. Yes. Like all Shazam characters, Hoppy is powered by... The gods, the, the letters in the word Shazam spell up spell out the names of different gods, but they're different gods. With Captain Marvel, you've got Solomon and Hercules and Zeus and Achilles and Mercury. With Hoppy the Marvel Bunny, he's powered by Salamander, which grants him wisdom, Hogulies, which grants him strength. Oh god. Antlers, which grants him great stamina. <laughs> uh Z-Bruce, which i guess is a cross between zebra and zeus which grants him great power uh abalone which grants him great courage and Moncuri, which grants him great speed wah,
2: wah, wah, wah. they really thought it through
1: yeah they really did <laughs>
0: So there are your four and probably only famous comic rabbits. If we missed anybody on the Easter Bunny edition of Who the Hell is This Guy, let us know. Go over to the forums, name some more rabbits. I found uh, talk of some more of Jackson Bucktooth in the expanded Star Wars universe, but uh, I think that's all been disavowed. No, yeah,
1: sorry. <laughs> Stricken from canon. <laughs> sorry, folks.
2: Let's some toes.
1: Before we go, let's hand the mic over to our crusty old buddy in the cold north. It's time for another edition of Postcards from
2: the Orca. Dear Mr. Josh Flanagan, co-host of iFanboy, wannabe hipster, self appointed comic, movie, and music critic, and proxy for all comic nerds, podcast hosts, and fanboys in general. That's right. This postcard is to all of us, including Matt, Joe, my fellow THN listeners, and even myself. Because we all have a little Josh Flanagan in us at times lately, even if we can't feel it. (laughs) Lately, a disturbing thing has been cropping up amongst fanboys. I've been around a long time, so I know that it's always been there, but it's reached a critical mass. And we have to kill it before it kills us. I'm talking about the coolness of being negative. It doesn't matter what you read, what you listen to, or what you see online. If it's critical commentary or on anything fanboy, guys like you rarely like it. Even if you do, you find a reason not to. Why do you do this? I think so I know. Because it's cooler to shit on things than it is to like them. God forbid you like something and the masses disagree with you because there goes your street cred. That's where the temptation of finally being cool takes over. This phenomenon has caused a downward spiral of negativity. Where you don't like this, so then the next asshole, we'll call him Ron how about, well he can't like that. Then the next prick, we'll call him Connor? Sure. Well, now he doesn't want to be a Betty about it, so he says something else sucks, even if he enjoyed it. I, for one, am worried that won't stop until we've really convinced ourselves that nothing will ever be good again. Was Superman vs. Batman as good as Civil War? Of course not. But it was better than the Captain America movie from 1990. Damn straight. Was it interesting and full of action? Superheroes and explosions? Yup. They have several moments, like the car chase, where I was excited to see what happens next. Fuck yeah. Oh, I'm sorry it didn't stick to the script and Batman used a gun and killed people. You know what I did? It took me a whole ten seconds to get over that. I says to myself, oh, so this is like an Elseworlds story. Okay, pass the popcorn. Let's also not forget that this material isn't just trying to appeal to us aging nerds. They've got audiences around the world now. They've got the younger demographics. Face it, you aging fuck. This isn't for you. It's for the 17-year-old who will buy the Blu-ray. And the 10-year-old, they'll buy the figures. And the 13-year-old in China, they'll see it as local IMAX six times. Just because you're 40 and they're using a character you haven't let go of for 30-plus years doesn't mean they're doing it for you. What would a 13-year-old version of you think about the, the movie? Let's say we could somehow show him Batman from 1989 and then show him Batman versus Superman. What would he say? So shut up and enjoy it. And when you do, when you finally let yourself, don't go around spewing your rotten seed all over everything. We don't care. I got out of a similar soapbox with the people shitting on the second season of Daredevil or even the recent Iron Fist Netflix series. You're upset with how it it ended or it lagged in the middle or it wasn't enough like the comics from the 1980s? You feel that you wasted 13 hours? If you watched all 13 hours, you must have been somewhat entertained for a whopping $9.99 a month, I might add. Was Hickman's run with Marvel perfect? Nah, of course not. It was way too big, I guess. And the delays with the culmination in Secret Wars was a bummer. But I will say what you should. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I will remember it positively and relish in that feeling you get when the sun shines on your face whenever I remember it. Same thing for Mark Wade's Daredevil even when they went to San Francisco. I like Zac Efron. Yep, there, I said it. He's fun. He plays a good straight man to Rogan or Divine or De Niro. So you got win Oscar? Perish the thought. But when those movies ended, I had a smile on my face. I like seeing Superman wear blue jeans. I like female Thor. I like the new point break as much as the old point break. The stunts were great. I even like Suicide Squad. Sure, I got a hand job in the middle of it, but the point is I found a way to like it. Stuff doesn't have to be great, it's all just entertainment. In the words of the Immortal Seth from Superbad, I'm sorry that the Cohen brothers don't direct porn. Except this is better than porn, it's nerd porn. Listen to me now, it wasn't that long ago, us nerds were the an antithesis of cool. We were forced into herds and ostracized by jocks and preps or normal people with jobs because of what we liked. You might have been a Magic the Gathering kid, maybe you liked cartoons that were considered too young for your age, maybe you just didn't like going to bed without your Superman digest under your pillow, but we were proud, we liked stuff, at the risk of never getting laid or suffering a few too many wedgies We said we liked it anyway. Let us not drop down to that level where we shun things that aren't mainstream or try to embarrass the people that do like them. Let us stop putting being cool above the stuff that is cool. So Mr. Flanagan, Joe, Matt, and anyone else there who's listening that's ever been called a nerd, let's get away from the constant critique And enjoy the embarrassment of riches we have in this day and age. And when we do enjoy something, let's talk about that. Kiss Kiss, The Orca.
1: So, uh, The Orca said that I probably would take issue with some of the things he said, and he was right. (laughs) Uh, The idea that I should just be positive about comic book movies, because hey, at least we're getting comic book movies, is total... Bullshit.
0: Well, but that's I'm what sorry. they want us to believe. <laughs>
1: right? uh, look, I'm not, I'm not going to not be critical of something that's bad just because at least they're giving me stuff that I like.
0: No, I'm with you 100%. Of course not.
1: And now I do agree that bagging on people for liking things that you don't like is also bad. Sure. But there's, this kind of, there's been this kind of movement I've noticed lately from people... That are down on people for being critical of things. Like, can't we just be positive about it?
0: I feel like I'm part of that movement and I'm yelling at you about it all the time.
1: It's like, <laughs> okay. like Matt will be Matt has always said it's the number one joke about Joe Patrick is that Joe Patrick likes everything. He apologizes. I for left everything. that Green Lantern movie. It
0: switched from liking to apologizing. <laughs>
1: sure. Like I left the Green Lantern movie saying to myself, Yeah, you know what? I kinda like how they did this and how they did that. I am that way to an extent, but when something is bad, I'm going to say so, and I'm not bagging on it just to be cool. I'm bagging on it because it's a piece of shit. I'm with you. Batman versus Superman is a piece of shit.
0: Agreed. And Green Lantern was a piece of shit.
1: <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm with you now. I've come back around. Green Lantern is also a piece of shit. Yeah,
0: I stood up, walked out there and went,
1: piece of shit. <laughs> That's not to say that I can't find good things in bad movies, sure. but. Sure. This idea that I'm just supposed to, like, kiss their rings and say thank you for deigning to stoop to my level, Zack Snyder, yeah. is nonsense. I'm glad that you liked it. I'm glad that you like the things that I don't like. I'm glad that you were able to find things to like about Suicide Squad, but I don't do it just to hear myself talk. I do it because I'm passionate about it.
0: I do it because I want to be cool like the cool kids, but that's just me. I yeah, do, well, yeah, you know.
1: It's the only way you can be.
0: I knock you guys down to build myself up. That's how it works, all right? Deal with it.
1: Exhaust That is it
0: for THN number six. If you dig podcasts at hip, hop, and don't stop, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app.
1: Huge thanks to all of our patrons that show support on PayPal and Patreon. You guys keep our Easter baskets overflowing. This show survives solely on your donations, and we just want to say thank you by giving the listeners some cool stuff and access to donor-only content. So head to the Patreon, check it out. We've got the Drunk Nerds Guide to Previews. We've got the THN Book Club coming up. We've got got stickers coming out this week. I promise. We'll mail them this week. Quit saying that you're going to do it until you actually get it done. Donate this week. Remember! (laughs) But
0: next time it's time for thn cover to cover so call us live send us an mp3 or leave us a message on the ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894 answer the question of the week talk about this show talk about movie trailers talk about anything you want in the greater comic book universe
1: talk about the talk about the orca's latest postcard yeah there you go and let's hash it out let's
0: hear it before we go our weekly shout out goes to jason ballard Jason was the older brother of our friend Joel, and both were Krypton Comics stalwarts back in the day. Jason passed away this week, and he truly will be missed. He was the biggest KISS fan I've ever met, and his love for KISS was second only to his love of superheroes. Joe and I have been raising some money to donate to the Ollie Webb Foundation. They're a foundation that advocates... For the mentally handicapped, and they were a huge part of Jason's life. If you would like to make a donation to this cause, we are going to gather that money using our PayPal. You can send it to us. Just to make a note for Jason, and we'll know it is a donation that's going to the Ollie Webb Foundation. A hundred percent of those funds will go to the Ollie Webb Foundation in Jason's name. It's a good cause. Word to you, Jay. Gonna miss you, buddy.
1: Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might shoot corrosive eggs at your house. They're impossible to wash off. (laughs) This is the 2 headed Nerd, signing off.